Hello everyone, it's the Book and Film Globe Week in Review podcast. I am your host, the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, Neil Pollock, the greatest living American writer, the Sultan of SWAT. And here we are, once again, www.bookandfilmglobe.com, the finest culture publication anywhere in the world and on the internet, which is also in the world. We have a great show for you this week. We're going to be talking about the movie Free Guy. We'll be talking to Book and Film Globe contributor Rachel Llewellyn about the great Danny Trejo. But first, we're going to talk a little bit about censorship, a favorite topic here at Book and Film Globe. We cover the world of literary censorship like no other publication. And so I thought I'd lead off this week with God Only Knows from the Beach Boys. Why that song, you ask? That song was actually censored and banned from radio when it came out in 1966 because it contained, get this, the word God. Apparently it was anathema to talk about God outside of religious music. We have come a long way. God Only Knows is you know, kind of a cliche at this point. It's what TV shows and movies play over montages when people are having revelations or doing something profound and sincere, but I still love the song, and it is a censored song. So we're gonna lead with that, and then we will be back to talk to Book and Film Globe contributor Sharon Bain. We'll lead off this week with frequent Book and Film Globe contributor Sharon Bain. Sharon, hello. Welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. I wish we were talking under more fortunate circumstances. You have covered yet again this week another censorship controversy in the Leander ISD School District. Leander is a suburb of Austin, where you and I both live, and it is sort of the epicenter for book banning in America right now, unfortunately. What's going on now? Well, they've really doubled down. Um, You know, we first covered this um, back in the spring when national attention first kind of centered on Leander because some parents were upset about some of the books that were on high school book club choice lists. And I really want to stress that word choice because these weren't assigned books that everyone had to read. This was a high school book club. I think there are like 15 books on each list and uh, still parents were upset about uh, some of the titles. One of the big ones that really came out uh, at that point that people were upset about was uh, Carmen Maria Machado's uh, memoir in the dream house. And folks, uh, you know, came to the uh, school board meeting and complained about it. Leander launched a whole big complex process with teachers and parents to weigh on an all 140 books. And they were being uh, pretty public about, well, this cycle's over. Here's what's been paused. This cycle's over. Here's what's been pulled. They're using different words to indicate what they've done. Um, these last four uh, cycles just got posted. Um, and PEN America, which is an international organization that really focuses on free expression, um, called attention to the fact that they have uh, pulled even more books off of their high school curriculum, including Jacqueline Woodson's Red at the Bone and Nikki Grimes' um, Ordinary Hazards, both of which are award-winning, best-selling books um, that have won wide acclaim. 
Are you familiar with these books? I, I, you know, you cover the young adult world more than I do, so I don't, I don't read a, a lot of young adult fiction. I mean, are, do you know that these works are, are, are they something that children shouldn't be reading? Well, I think, um, I mean, yes to the first part of your question. Uh, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting about um, Red at the Bone, um, which is Jacqueline Woodson's book, it's actually. Um, uh, not just for young adults, it's also for adults, but it centers on a young person and there's a, you know, it's kind of a coming of age story. It toggles forward and backward in time. I know how you enjoy the nonlinear time narrative. Oh, yeah, books. I can, I can, well, now I can't wait to read it. Right. But um, it just, you know, a, a, a tremendous book. I mean, Jacqueline Woodson, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with her work, um, was just named as a MacArthur Fellow. She's a former national ambassador for young people's literature, um, you know, just well known in uh, the books world as someone who writes great literature for teens um, as well as adults. And, um, you know, Nikki Grimes there as well. I mean, Ordinary Hazards is her memoir um, about um, some struggles that she uh, suffered um, growing up, and it has won. I think three or four awards um, for its portrayal of her real life. It got uh, dinged for its um, portrayal of some tough times. She actually just uh, responded on Twitter to Leander's banning and saying uh, in an open letter that um, she knows that few readers who come to this story will have experienced the range of challenges that she confronted in her childhood. And I think this is such a great um, passage, she says here, that said, there's value in their reading a story like mine. If nothing else, Ordinary Hazards gives readers proof that no matter what obstacles they might face in their own lives, they can come out on the other side triumphant, healthy, whole, and thriving, just like I did. It also promotes being empathetic to people from tougher circumstances than you come from. Absolutely. I think that one of the things we really need to think about and, uh, you know, I talked with Jonathan Friedman, Friedman, who's PEN America's director of free expression education um, last week when this first came to light. Um, you know, he talked about the importance of reading and learning about experiences other than your own um, as part of just a, a meaningful, you know, education experience. And we want our teens to be thinking about experiences other than their own to be exposed to experiences other, their, other than their own. And uh, he drew a really interesting parallel in our conversation between this kind of book banning that's going on here in Leander with the national discourse over how we're gonna teach history in uh, something like 20 states have uh, passed legislation restricting how we talk about race. And he made a really nice um, analogy that, you know, that conversation about history is we don't want to talk about the past. Banning books is really about curbing the ways in which young people think about our future, um, which is why it's so alarming. I mean, I personally feel like that you're talking about the critical race theory debate. Uh, you know, I feel like that is a slightly separate top subject with with more that is more politically weighted, whereas banning books, I feel like is wrong, whether it comes from the left or from the right. Uh, from any perspective, like, you know, ideas should be free and should be freely expressed and we should be in, and our children should be free to read about whatever they want. I mean, yeah, maybe there's some stuff that's more age appropriate than most, but these are books that are written for 
high school students. And I'm guessing, I don't know, I don't know actually, these two these two authors, are they black, the women who wrote these books? They are. They're um, yeah. black authors, um, you know, and interestingly enough, in the earlier round of uh, books that were pulled or paused, which is like some code word that Leander's using for, you can't read them this year and we don't know when they're coming back. Um, a lot of graphic novels that featured um, LGBTQ um, uh, protagonists were um, were pulled as well. So, you know, to your point, um, this is a case where a small group of people, small group of parents don't like that topic. They feel like it's not appropriate for their kids, but they also want to take away the opportunity for any student to choose this off of a book club list, which is really, to my way of thinking, where the problem is. Um, if for whatever reason you want to keep your kid from choosing this book, I suppose that is your right as a parent, but don't make the decision for the rest of the parents and the rest of the students there who may want to choose those books, which, by the way, were chosen through a curriculum process of professional educators. And the whole point of this curriculum in Leander was to introduce a measure of diversity and inclusivity. So it just seems across purposes, if we're going to make the curriculum more inclusive to then pull out the inclusive books um, and complain about the diversity and quote unquote pause uh, the books that might expose students to some different perspectives. Yeah, you're not going to get any argument for me there. I mean, I, and it, it's it it's as uh, it's it's I'm I don't know the ethnic makeup of the Leander ISD. I mean, it's a public school district, so it's going to be you know by its very nature more diverse than a, than most private schools. But I'm guessing that these aren't black parents who are objecting to these books. It's just my guess. From what I have seen, you are correct. I feel that the folks who have uh, spoken at uh, school board meetings um, do appear to be predominantly white parents. I don't know that I've seen any parents who are not white parents complaining about this. Um, it It is interesting, um, you know, even some of the comments that, uh, you know, come out on on this story of people immediately jumping to this is inappropriate for kids if it deals with anything remotely, I hesitate to even call things controversial because are, is someone's identity as a gay person controversial is the fact that someone is writing their own experience in a memoir of they were sexually assaulted. Is that inappropriate? I mean, you know, kids, kids know about these things. This is not um, the first time they have probably heard about these topics and part of why teachers want them in the curriculum is so that they can be unpacked and talked about in you know meaningful ways, both in the classroom and frankly, if the parents took this opportunity to talk about things with their kids, it also provides a jumping off point for that. Of course, that's the whole point. That's that's the major reason why you read. I mean, it just you know is to stimulate discussion, to promote understanding of other people and cultures, and to spark the imagination. All these things and book banning is the opposite of that so you know at had book and film globe we strive we we advocate strongly for uh free speech and lack of censorship and freedom of publishing and you know sharon you're always right at, right at the tip of that uh, sometimes we disagree about ideological things but you know when but you are you are so right about all of this and you know i uh you know i i hope that um Someone in Leander comes to their senses because, frankly, it's kind of embarrassing 
to live in the Austin area and to have the, this this kind of stuff still going on. Right. It's feel it feels very throwbacky. It feels very you know, like in this day and age, are we still talking about, oh my gosh, like our, our delicate 17 year olds can't, you know, read a book that might deal with something that happened in real life. That feels, um, you know, it does feel embarrassing that we're still at a place where that's what we're talking about. Yeah. The moral majority is so 40 years ago, get over it, (laughs) get over it. It's over. We're going to win. People who, people, people who believe in freedom of speech and freedom of expression, will win on every on every count or not and if we don't then i'll uh i'll I'll see you in the dissenters camps so uh so sharon uh thank you very much we will talk to you soon thanks as always bye-bye longtime book and film globe contributor rachel llewellyn is back again this week hello rachel Hello, Neil. Thanks for having me. Of course, always. Uh, always a pleasure. This week, Rachel reviewed an autobiography by the legendary, now legendary, Hollywood character actor Danny Trejo. And it's a terrific piece, and it really uh, it really brings Trejo to life. And yeah, you, you loved this book, Rachel. I did. I, it was a lot of fun to read and a lot of fun to write about as well. I, I have been aware of his career, but I learned so much about him through this book. Um, and I didn't know of his extensive contribution to the recovery community until I started reading it. And it got really kind of that extra dimension for me because um, I'm in as well in recovery, have been in the recovery community for about 10 years for alcohol. So I'm very well aware of what it's like to be on the Sober Express. So I really connected with the book and his life is just absolutely amazing and kind of co-written with uh, an actor and writer, Donald Logue, who is also very talented. And it was just uh, a great collaboration between the two. Yeah, I I, uh, connected with this review a lot because like you, I'm also on the sobriety train. I have been sober from marijuana for almost four years now. And, you know, it hasn't always been easy, but I, I you, and, and there were, this path is never smooth, but in general, I feel like, you know, my thoughts are clearer, my morality is, is clearer, uh, and everything is a little bit easier. You know, I, it was never as deep in the shit as Danny Trejo was. I mean, you can, uh, you can uh, tell, tell us a little bit about well, what he was up to. I mean, he was doing hard drugs. Yes, he was doing hard drugs and hard time, too. And his whole, you know, career started young. You know, as mentioned, he grew up in Southern California in the 50s and the 60s. And it was just an interesting time where the community was growing and diversifying in a lot of ways down in uh, San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles County. And that was kind of his world. So the beginning of the book is a very vivid exploration of that period of time um, in that area. And a lot of his life just reads like a really interesting timeline of Los Angeles history. So like there's that dimension of it too. Um, And his childhood was um, very, you know, thoroughly kind of gone into. Um, And again, myself kind of reading this through the lens of, you know, people who are had backgrounds of substance abuse and are now out of it. They're very kind of clear eyed and looking back at their histories and finding out, you know, what started where, you know, um, 
And he really applies that to the book to give us a nice, profound, deep dive into his relationships with his family, the bonds that he had and didn't have with certain family members, and specifically about his older, actually his uncle. Um, but the uncle was so close to him in age, his uncle Gilbert, they were only about eight years apart. So they kind of grew up as cousins, more or less. And he, you know, just just his icon. So he figures very largely in this narrative throughout the whole book. So it's very interesting how his childhood developed into kind of this juvenile career of incarceration and how that carried on over into young adulthood for him. Yeah. So in addition to being a, a journal of recovery, it's also a look into uh, the history of of Mexican-American culture in Los Angeles. I guess, I guess it would, back then it was called Chicano culture. You know, and he, his his childhood goes back to the destruction of the Chavez Ravine neighborhood and everything that resulted from that. And so I, I found I found all that uh, all that fascinating in the review as well. And the book also covers his um, his in, his uh, birth as a Hollywood icon. Yeah, he started off very very small, right? He was he was kind of a he was someone who just was existed to beat people up in movies or to get beaten up in movies. <laughs> Right, right. Well, his involvement in, in movies on the other side of the camera was accidental uh, from the get-go. I mean, he, he got sober pretty early in the late 60s and then was released and kind of kind of not sure what to do and sort of doing background extra work. And he was sort of spotted randomly on set and just kind of asked to consult um, on the set of Runaway Train on that boxing scene with Eric Roberts. And when they saw him actually hit the bag, they thought, oh, well, we actually want him to do the scene instead of just, you know, advise the actor. So it was kind of one of those serendipitous accidents that sort of was his breakout role. It's actually kind of a great movie, Runaway Train. It's such a classic action piece that 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 has, it, you know, it, it doesn't have a lot of depth, but it's very exciting to watch. I'd, I'd forgotten that that was his debut. And so th does the book talk about his his evolution into, I mean, he's still not like a, you know, a marquee star, but he, but he definitely like is recognizable. Does it talk about the Machete period and his involvement with Robert Rodriguez and all that? Absolutely. Yes, it does. He talks about, you know, again, kind of falling into a Robert Rodriguez film set and finding out that he was his second cousin um, and his involvement with the movie Spy Kids and how that kind of made him a hero for kids. He was. He started talking about how he would be recognized by children, and they would, you know, chase him down and say, "Well, you're the uncle from Spike Kids," and he really got a kick out of that. But it does talking about all of his Machete period. Now, Machete. Well, Uncle Machete was the his character in Spike Kids. So Robert Rodriguez really had loved that character as he was writing it and wanted to kind of take that character and con continue the narrative a little more. And it didn't happen until, you know, what, 15 years later or whatever it was that he ended up doing the Machete series. But um, he sort of saw the figure as like, you know, a Mexican-American Chicano superhero. There weren't a lot of those figures present in that culture. So Danny Trejo really jumped at that and finally it came to fruition and really kind of catapulted him into recognizability. I mean, he's got, you know, the Halloween costumes for kids and stuff. So, and he's just endlessly tickled by his popularity. He just kind of can't believe it, you know, but in a, in a blessed way. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a story. And, you know, he's such a, a singular character. A singular character actor, and it's great to see, uh, you know, him getting the recognition he deserves. 
full name of the book is called Trejo, My Life of Crime, Redemption, and Hollywood. Well, it sounds, it sounds great, and it's a great review, and it's up this week on Book and Film Globe. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Ciao. See ya. And we have a special treat for you this week in her Book and Film Globe Week in Review podcast debut. It's Ian Holiday, uh, someone who I've known for many years in a lot of different capacities. But for Book and Film Globe, she's done quite a few excellent uh, cartoons uh, or, uh, I don't know, they're like uh, essays, but in cartoon form, you know, graphic novel stuff. And she's also written movie reviews and TV reviews and book reviews for us. She is um, one of the, I would say she's sort of the um, godmother of uh, of Alterna Parents. I wrote this book, Alternadad, and Anne was, was uh, doing the East Village Inky zine before I had a kid. And she's someone who I've always admired and looked up to and considered a, a compatriot in the Gen X uh, cultural nexus. And so I'm going to welcome you right here. Hello. Hello, Neil. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. It's great to, great to talk to you on this, um, this particular device that we're talking on. Nobody has to know what device it is. It's just like a secret podcast recording device that, that podcasters have. So um, you reviewed a movie for us this week, uh, the movie Free Guy. And it, uh, you know, I, I kind of sent you to this. I didn't know what to expect. And then you came back with this glowing report about that. <laughs> I was kind of surprised. I was surprised, too. I mean, you know, you had said to me, this doesn't look like your thing at all. But, you know, it's a movie in a movie theater in New York. Do you want to go? And I watched the trailer and it looked funny. And then my husband said, yeah, that looks funny. I'll go, too. So it was a wonderful surprise. Yeah, so the premise of the movie is that Ryan Reynolds plays a non-player character in a video game. He's he's trapped in this video game, right? Well, he's not even trapped in it. He was invented to just be background filler in it. It's if you imagine the extra in a movie becoming the main character in the movie, somebody whose only function was to be the guy who's standing by the hot dog cart when the stars walk past it that's the kind of character he is in this video game world and he becomes sentient somehow right yeah he he i think his main motivating force that is uh given to him is that he's i mean, I mean this is extraneous too i don't know why the video game programmer gave him this character more than an extra would need but that he's an optimist and he, he's a guy, like kind of a lovelorn bachelor type guy, but who always hopes he's going to find love. And he has one specific type of fantasy woman that he's looking for. And then one day she walks in to rob the bank where he's working. And that awakens his consciousness a little bit. Very strange. So it's kind of got like a, uh, like, that sounds sort of vaguely Truman Show-ish. It's, it's a like lot Truman Show-ish, yeah. I haven't seen the Truman Show in years, but it, it definitely has that about it, including the sort of chipper optimism, the kind of fake uh, Disney World-ish. Everything's really clean in the world of the extras. Everything's really happy all the time, very neighborly, very G-rated, and 
It's not that way for the actual characters in the video game, the people that are shooting stuff up and wasting each other. That's very steampunk and very violent. Right. So stuff starts to blow up around these these regular people basically every day. Yeah, stuff has been blowing up around it, but they're so used to it. You know, it's a a little bit also like Russian doll every day. You know, it's possible one of them gets killed, but they wake back up in their apartment the next day completely whole, completely optimistic, ready to go to their boring job and get through it. They don't have any opinion about the violence that goes on around them. It seems completely normal part of the world to them. So, I mean, so, and this is, this is not a bad movie because, you know, this has a potential of being. Yeah, I really loved it. I mean, I, I really, really loved it. It's also, to me, it, um, it felt like the comedy was very smart. There were actual lines that had us laughing um, early on. The performances were great. And for lack of a better, more cutting edge word, it had a lot of heart. Like it really did make me feel like it had something somewhat profound to say about the people who are not the celebrities in our world, the people who are not the cool people. That That's how the uh, characters like Ryan Reynolds character guy uh, perceives of the heroes, the heroes of the world in which he lives are the sunglasses people, the people who have sunglasses. And those are the characters that can actually be played, the characters that have weapons and that are who a gamer would choose to be. So in addition to Ryan Reynolds, who, you know, has long ago proven that he can carry a blockbuster movie with just his kind of, you know, with his charisma, you know, Deadpool himself. Um, so you have a uh, Jodie Comer in this from Killing Eve, right? She's the sort of the right. lead, and she has she plays two characters. There are a lot of people who play two characters in this. Uh, Joe Keery from um, Stranger Things is in it, playing two characters. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of a lot of dual characters, and I think the actors seem like they're having a lot of fun with that. All right, and uh, who who is uh, who is in charge of this? Who the director, the screenwriter? You know, who, who, where, where did this come from? You know, it's directed by Sean Levy from a screenplay by Matt Lieberman and Zach Penn. Uh-huh. And those are all, um, those are all pretty familiar Hollywood names. So, I mean, it's what's funny because, like, this, this is just something, this is a film that has been floating around because of COVID 19. You know, this was a movie that was supposed to come out a year and a half ago. That's right. And yeah. And it's just been, and they, they just like everything else, they just pushed it back and pushed it back. So I have to admit, like I'm, I'm surprised that it's good. You know? I know, I know, me too. And you know, you're absolutely right. It's not the kind of thing I would go to, particularly because of the video game aspect. I was like, okay, is this like, you know, Transformers or something? But not that I've seen Transformers, but something that it's like, oh, this is something that people who play video games are super into, or you know, the Marvel franchise. It's like. I don't care about those movies, really. That's not my scene. And I find when I do wind up at those movies, often at a drive-in or something, I have difficulty figuring out what's going on. And then I realize I don't care about the plot at all and I don't care about the characters. And I I can't really figure out the plot points of it. But this was all very clear to me. Yeah, and it's not a franchise. Like, you're not going to see, like, a Free Guy extended universe, probably. No, and I went into it. I think I was confused. I thought there was an actual Free Guy game or in the movie. The the video game is called Free City. And as far as I know, there is not a open-world video game called Free City. Well, one, the one thing I wanted to um, 
I wanted to add on to this is you, this was the first movie you've seen in a theater in, in since March or February of 2020. Yeah, it is. And, I, you know, I as soon as the movie theaters were back open for business in New York City, I felt like it should be a really important experience for me to go see a movie. And I thought, okay, in the Heights, because I live not too terribly far from Washington Heights. And, you know, my husband works in musical theater. And I thought this, the whole family will go and we'll have this big emotional catharsis seeing our city and dancing and lots of colors. And, um, you know, it didn't quite work out with my kids' schedules. And then it was like, okay, well, I'll just wait. And then, you know, I'm still waiting. So this did end up being the first movie I saw in a theater. And it was, maybe that informed my response to it, but I was just thrilled. I loved it so much. I was actually crying during the credits, like a big old baby. Tears of happiness. It was cool. Very strange. Very cool. <laughs> well, I'm strange. <laughs> surprising to me you know and it's just so funny because like I, I mean I don't know how how if you followed my peregrinations or not but I, I never stopped going to the movies you know for I me know. It's, yeah I I went I went in May of 2020 when the theaters reopened in Texas and I just kind of kept going I've seen I saw all the Oscar nominees uh in in theaters I just I've seen what I've just been I just go to the movies once or twice a week I never stopped <laughs> and I'm alive that sounds great. Well, I mean, I like you guys in Texas, you were open a lot earlier than we were. I think yeah, New York it's really just been the last couple of months. Yeah, Texas opened up before before the the um the first wave really started here. So it was, a, it was a, perhaps a, a little odd, but I was like, well, the theaters are open. So and I, I do run a movie website, so maybe <laughs> I just go. Yeah, well, and I mean, it's, you know, it's true that there are certain movies that on the big screen, it's like, wow, that was great. And this was one of them, for sure. Excellent. All right. Well, Free Guy is open now. Ion Holiday, thank you so much. Let's let's have you back here soon. It's always fun to chat. I would be delighted. I'll see you soon. Hasta luego. Ciao. <laughs> In every other language I don't really know. Yeah. Bye. Bye. And so we come to the end of another Book and Film Globe Week in Review podcast. I am Neil Pollack, your editor-in-chief, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. Looks like I'll be heading off to the Multiplex or the Alamo Drafthouse or wherever to see Free Guy this weekend. Why not? It's still legal to go to the movies, at least this week. I'm going to take advantage of it while I still can. To celebrate the movie, here's I Want to Break Free from Queen. Freedom for everyone, from everything. That's what I say. Have a good week. I'll talk to you soon. I want to break free.
I always value books and films and good TV, but now during a pandemic, I appreciate them, I need them more than ever. That's why I read Book and Film Globe. Bookandfilmglobe.com is the smartest, sharpest commentary about what's good and what's um, not good in the worlds of books, movies, and quality TV. This isn't celebrity gossip, and it's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just smart, clear writing about the best new things to watch and read. Interviews with directors, concise reviews of hot new books, actors describing classic scenes, it's all on bookandfilmglobe.com. And there are three Rotten Tomatoes certified reviewers, so you know you're getting good advice. Check out Book and Film Globe. That's bookandfilmglobe.com. Audio Hopper.